Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again today for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program we're going to have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. One of them is three ways to create a culture of innovation. Also having our chat with Christina and we're going to be looking at some tips from a business book. But right now we're going to have a chat with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountant. Good afternoon, Tony. Afternoon, Gillian. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for joining us again. Um, That's good. I was just thinking, listening to that song, how many... I might actually start conversations now with, wouldn't it be nice if... <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. When you say if, everyone thinks what's going to come next. That's right. There's lots of things you could put after that. Wouldn't it be nice if software companies got their their act together? Wouldn't it be nice if the tax office did things differently? Things like that. <laughs> well, be careful. We might start talking about accountants. So so we're going to talk about this afternoon about the small business tax offset and you say many people are not aware of it. No, the tax office issued a, uh, an interesting um, comment. I just read some minutes of uh, one of their meetings that they they're a little bit surprised um, as to the um, to the take up. And um, I I think I could answer their question as to as to why. Firstly, it's something that's reasonably new. Um, it's something that was introduced in the June um, 16 financial year where if you're a small business operator, you can get an offset of up to, um, well, 5% of the income tax that you're paying up to a maximum a capped amount of $1,000. So it's a, it's a reasonable amount of money um, that we're talking about. And um, um, But it only applies to those who run a small business in their own names, um, in a partnership, of individuals, um, or even if it's a, a small business being run in a in a discretionary trust, and you get a distribution of income from that um, discretionary trust, so um, the ATO have, have sort of scratching their heads, thinking, you know, this has been around for twelve months, and there's a little bit of a a, um, a slow take up, and I, I guess it's new, so a lot of people are. Um, uh, are not aware of it, but um, we actually came across a very interesting um, scenario that um, our, our particular software that we use um, doesn't actually flag if the um, if the person's a small business um, taxpayer. So mm. I've, I've, I've sent actually an urgent request off to our software people because um, before you finalise a return electronically, you have to jump through a few hoops and and um, you can't actually lodge the return until, you know, you fix errors and you, you answer all the compulsory questions. Sure. But what, yeah. it, what it does do, it actually flags a few things along the way to say, you know, look, just be careful here. You sh- are you sure about this? Are you sure about that? And one of the things it really should be saying and prompting the person who's preparing the return is, um, look, this person uh, might be entitled, they're running a small business, they might be entitled to, um, to this particular offset. Mm. Well, it could also be something that the uh, possibly the tax office could do so they could flag that person was a small business. Yeah, look, the, the ATO have a funny position on those sort of things. They, they, they kind of say, well, you know, it's up to you to claim it. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll yeah. allow it for you, but, but it's up to you to, you know, to put the submission in. And if you're entitled to it, you know, we'll give it to you. They don't, they don't tend to go out of their way to, you know, to do that sort of, you know, you know, you know what you should do. You should put this in this particular box here of the return, and that'll give you a, you know, a bigger refund. They, they tend to stay away from that, that. Um, it's a bit of a slippery slope for them, I think. So it could be an advantage for a person to be running as a sole trader or a partnership rather than a comp- proprietary limited company. Well, this is it. And again, it, it, it's another one of these things that just need to be taken into account when, you, when you're um, thinking about what's the optimum tax structure mm. for you. Do you operate as a company? Companies do not get this at all. 
um, because the, and it, it all it all hinges on the the the, you know, the definition of income. So the income comes in as a small business to the company, but when it comes once tax is paid and it goes out to the shareholders, it changes its character to a dividend. So it's no longer business income; mm. it changes its character. Whereas whereas in a trust. Um, the income, the character of it retains its character. If it's capital gain, it comes out as capital gain to the beneficiary. If it's, if it's um, uh, uh, frank dividends, it's a frank dividend in the hands of the beneficiary. And, and the same with a partnership. It doesn't, the character of the income doesn't change down to the, um, to the individual who gets it. So, you know, this is, and, and what they're doing is it's, it's, um, it's a 5% offset for the June 16 year. For the June 17 year that we're currently doing at the moment, it's up to 8%, and then they've got visions that it's going to increase um, to 10%, 13%, and then 16% over about the next 10 years. So it's it's quite a significant amount of money, and um, you know you, you miss out on these things for two or three years. It could be you know two three thousand dollars. So um, uh, people that have put in their returns for 16 or, yep. or 17, can they get back to 18 now? Can they? Yeah. Yep, you can. So the, sto- the short story there is that you can go back um, and amend it. Anyone who is a small business, I do encourage you to go and, and just double check and make sure that you, if you're entitled to it, that, that it's been claimed. You have two years um, to amend um, re- uh, tax returns, mm-hmm. um, and in some cases you have four years. So that, that's that's a bit complicated that story. But anyway, two years is the is the norm. Um, four years is the um, is the exception. So you'd want to, but for small businesses, it'll be yeah, I think it'll be two years. So you want to get cracking because that'll that'll expire very quickly. Yeah, and we've got time to talk about health fund uh, benefits. You got time? Yep. Yeah. Here's a quick, quick quiz for you. How how is it that someone who earns ten thousand dollars for a year ends up with a tax bill? I don't know. You, you tell no. me. Well, there you go. Scratch your head on that one. So it, it it all it all hinges around this lovely health um, offset. Um, that was introduced a number of years ago, and not only that, but but where they call back what they call excess private health insurance reduction. So, in a nutshell, say that you have a, a spouse, and we'll, we'll, in this particular case that I've got here is a, uh, a wife who earned ten thousand dollars for the year. Her husband, however, earned about um, two hundred and forty thousand, just to pick a figure, right? Mm. So, what what they do is they put a ring around both of them and say, right, your family income is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You're entitled to a certain percentage um, offset with your health fund. Now, usually, let's say that percentage might be um, 10%, all right? Mm. But if those people haven't gone down to their respective, you know, NIB and whatever and changed the percentage, so they're still receiving the 30% offset, when they go and file their tax returns, that's when the ATO go, well, hang on, you've, you've overclaimed your offset at the, at, the, at the private health fund. You now have to pay back that 20% in your tax returns. And what they do is they add half to the, to the husband and half to the wife. Oh, okay. So the wife who, who earns $10,000 who thought, oh, well, there's no refund or no payable, ends up with a tax bill because of this um, private um, health um, insurance reduction. Now, what's quite sinister about this is, or what, what you've really got to be careful, is we actually had a scenario where um, the wife in this particular case didn't lodge a return, didn't lodge a return at all. Mm. Now, what happens is, the, and we have to go into the Private Health Act to look this up, what happens is, um, after about a year, if the wife doesn't lodge the return, the tax office will send the second half of that clawback, the bill, to the husband. Mm. Okay. Because we were very confused when we got the paperwork, and the paperwork from the ATO is not very clear, and, and um, you know, we rang them, and in fact, another account shared a story where they rang them as well, 
didn't receive a phone call back, it actually talks in present tense about you and we're looking at it going, well, hang on, you is the husband, you've already paid your half, is this the half that applies to the wife? wife?" And they couldn't answer it, but we ended up having to to read the private health thing. So, yeah, so you could have a scenario where, you know, the husband will have half of his share clawed back in the return as he lodges it and then a year later receives a bill for the other half because his spouse... Um, didn't lodge a return, which makes it very interesting if those two um, have um, uh, got Separate. divorced in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, another another wonderful, another, so, another wonderful quirky way that our tax system works. So, with, so with the uh, the family income, what, when does it start to reduce over what sort oh, of Now you're asking me questions. There, okay. There's four different, yeah, there's four different, um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't got it in front of me, but... <laughs> yeah, look at this. There's a table, and it's. It, um, if you remember, John Howard gave everyone a thirty percent offset. Julie yeah, Gillard yeah. came in and went, "No, nah, we're going to means test that." So there's okay. now four: thirty percent, twenty percent, ten, and zero. And okay. it's, and it's you know the more income that your family has, um, you go through the through those particular scales. The more the more income you earn the less of an offset you're entitled okay. to. Okay, great. Thanks very much for your time, Tony. Okay, we'll have a chat with you again next month. Always a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you. Bye bye. Tony Vidray there from AV Chartered Accountants, uh, helping us to understand that small business tax offset. And yeah, if you're a sole trader or a partnership, make sure that uh, you are claiming it. Time to pop over and have our Minute on Innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And you've picked a very interesting uh, subject today because uh, it's a thing that uh, is very dear to my heart, business books. Uh, you know, yeah. only 3% of the population use a, a library, and which is very sad, really, because we can learn so much from business through business books, can't we? We absolutely can, Julian. And I think um, what it is, like I often get asked uh, for recommendations for, you know, what's the best business book you've ever read? And I go, well, there isn't one. Um, and I actually wrote a blog on this not long ago, but, you know, there's, you take different bits and pieces from different books that resonate with your location, um, your experience, your uh, your the, t- the type of business that it is. So if there was one size fits all, there'd be one book. My bookshop would not look like the catastrophe <laughs> that it looks, and I'm sure yours looks pretty similar. Yeah. Uh, but we, we take different things that suit our businesses, suit our location, suit our perception, suit our history, um, from different books. and that, So I thought we might just run through a couple of books that have left a mark on me yeah. um, and maybe even invite your listeners to, to um, consider what books in their life have left a mark on them. So the mm. first one I'd like to tell you about uh, is a book called Switch by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. They're brothers. I've actually heard Chip speak at the um, Boston Fund and Innovation Conference last year. And there were two things that struck me um, quite deeply about the book. So, I mean, I did get more than two messages out of the book, but two things that I can look at the book and go, ah, yes, they're the two things that that are very much applicable to my business, to my clients' businesses, etc. So one of them is, he he says, what is the miracle question? And oftentimes we go, well, that's pie in the sky thinking, like, you know, do we really want to go that big? But the question is, if a miracle could solve the problem that you are looking at solving, how would, what would that miracle look like? You know, so it it's almost is that pie in the sky thinking, but it keeps it in that, in that we are talking miracle phase here. And the question that comes after that is, what's the first small sign that you would see 
um, that you have made a difference to the problem and the problem was beginning to go. So mm. I think there are two very crucial questions. You know, what if there was a miracle, what would it look like? And then bringing it right back into reality, grounding it, is how what's the know? first sign that you would see? Yeah, how would you know whether that mm. was working or not? So really useful questions when we're looking at how to solve problems for either our, our own businesses or our clients' businesses. And the other, the other um, thing that, you know, was almost a dirt moment when I read that book was, why do we spend so much time cutting um, when, we, when we're, you know, in some kind of financial difficulties or um, we're looking at, at downsizing an organisation is where people go. They go downsize. Mm. They go, why are you downsizing? Why aren't you making things that actually put the energy into making things that work amplify those? And I think that's just a really clever switch in thinking. So yeah. uh, hence the name of the book. Build sales rather than reduce assets. Yeah, so if you know something's working in your in your industry or know something's working in your business, double the efforts that you're putting towards that instead of taking all that negative energy, negative emotion and killing things within your own industry, you know, putting jobs on the line, which only gives you an unproductive workforce. We know that through countless hours and hours and papers and papers of research. We know that does not fuel, um, you know, there's mm. nothing beneficial about doing that in an organisation. Mm. The next book I'd like to talk to you about is called The Art of Possibility, and it's written by um, a, a couple, Rosamond Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. So The Art of Possibility is, a, is a, uh, written largely for creatives, people in the creative industries, but I think the principles apply. Um, and the first thing is we live in the world of assumptions. You know, as much as we might think that we, that we deal with an assumption and we bring it back into, into client-based reality we still make assumptions on behalf of our clients unless we actually go and walk a mile in their shoes. So how do we actually walk a mile in their shoes? How is it that we can experience what our clients are experiencing from their perspective, not our perspective? So that's one takeout from that book. And, and it's, it's a takeout from quite a few different systems. You know, we talk about design thinking a lot. It's mm. one of the main takeouts for that. The other thing that I think is really important to remember, he says it's all invented. Everything is invented from the from the... You know, the 40-hour working week to our dependence on now technology to everything that we that we do, you know, live in a house, live in an apartment, live in a tent, whatever it is. We've invented everything. And from that perspective, you can stand in possibility. So the three takeouts for me in that were what assumptions are you making? Remember that it's, everything is invented. So what can you invent now to take things um, to, a, to a better level? And when you stand in possibility, it's almost like asking the miracle question. What happens? How do we get there? How do we know that the miracle is happening? What are the signs based in reality that that's happening? So stand in possibility. Great. Have I got time for one more? No, we don't have time for one more. Ah, I okay, think right. I think we'll do them the other, another one next week, though, because that would, that would be lovely. It's a great I subject. My Left my favourite one for last, but we can pick another couple next week. I'd love to love to give you some more information on those books. Like you, my uh, my business bookshelf is overflowing, and people are always asking me. And I've got two pages of two A four pages of books that I recommend to people. So it's wow. fantastic. We'll <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll talk some more next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Christina, there with a couple of great books. And, you know, there's just so many business books out there. And you don't have to read the whole book. You can just read a couple of chapters that's applicable to you. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one is three ways to create a culture of innovation. 
If you want your employees to be more creative in their day-to-day work, you can't rely on ping-pong tables, beanbags, chairs or one-off events like hackathons to encourage more innovation, foster a sense of challenge. Firstly, give your employees projects that are demanding, while also making sure the tasks are a good match for their skills and resources. Secondly, don't just give a new project to whoever has a free time or could finish it more easily. Before you delegate, ask yourself, who would feel challenged by this project and has the capacity to rise to the challenge? And then thirdly, aim for 70% success. If you expect everyone to nail a task with 100% success, they are unlikely to take risks, which is an innovation killer. Letting them know that 70% success is okay will ensure they don't play it too safe. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the small business tax offset uh, with Tony Vidray. And uh, yes, important if you're running a small business there. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk with Craig McGregor from the Hunter Recruitment Group about video interviews. We'll have another chat with Christina about innovation and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Will Rogers once said, even if you're on the right track... You'll get run over if you just sit there. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.